Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jans, and my guest today is Harley Manning. He is a VP Research Director at Forrester and co-author of a book we're going to talk about today called Outside In, The Power of Putting Customers at the Center of Your Business. So thanks for joining me, Harley. Oh, my pleasure. So... You know, I always have to play devil's advocate on some of these book titles. I mean, haven't you know, haven't customers always been at the center of the business, or the reason that a business exists is, you know, am I missing am I missing a recent trend? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, that's the question I get a lot, which is, isn't all this just common sense? And uh, it should be, shouldn't it? But unfortunately, it's not. And and frankly, it's easy to to see that. All you have to do is step into that role that we all play every day, which is the role of a customer. I mean, we're all customers because we all buy stuff. And if I ask you and, and your listeners to just take a moment and think about a time when you had a really bad customer experience, uh, where maybe a company let you down in some way, didn't meet your needs, or just made it really hard for you, or just were playing unpleasant to do business with, uh, you'd be able to do that pretty easily. And clearly those companies don't have this as part of their DNA, and so for them, it's not common sense. Yeah, and I'm I'm so bad. You're probably this way too because you spend so much time on this stuff. Is I'll get a really bad customer service experience, and and I'll I'll want to coach the person. You know, really, here's what you ought to be doing in this situation. You know, not the yeah. way you're handling right now, and they, you know, it usually doesn't come off very well. But I I really find it sometimes hard to not go, hey, are you really working in the best interest of the company? And uh, let me ask you this. Um, because, you know, anybody that's got more than two or three employees is, you know, is screwed if they think they're handling customer experience, right? Um, it has to come from those those people. So, you know, is it, is it really a, you know, you talk about DNA, uh, it's pretty easy to leap to, isn't it really just about culture? Well, it's largely about culture. Um, we In the book, what we do is we break down the six disciplines of customer experience that we came to from years and years of research. And uh, one of them is culture. Uh, there are basically three disciplines that relate to designing a great customer experience and three to managing it. And uh, among the ones for managing it, uh, you've got governance, measurement, and culture. Now, now the interesting thing about culture is that if you are blessed with a customer-centric culture, I mean a truly customer-centric culture, like the kind that, for instance, USAA and financial services has, or uh, you know, what Southwest Airlines has got uh, to, to a somewhat lesser extent, but still very strong, uh, your employees are motivated to try to do the right thing for customers. And so more often than not, if they actually have good empathy for those customers, certainly that's the case of USAA, uh, they're going to do the right thing. They're going to try to do the right thing, and as often as not, they're going to figure out what the right thing is, and they're going to do it. And that can take you a long ways. Um, you know, flip side of that, I think we probably are all uh, familiar with the story from just a couple of weeks ago where United Airlines uh, lost that uh, little girl. Uh, she was just, you know, was supposed to be met at a plane. Uh, she was one of these, you know, doing one of these unaccompanied minor trips. And the person, as it turns out, a subcontractor that United Airlines had hired to meet her, uh, didn't meet her. And uh, she asked repeatedly if uh, someone would call the camp where she was going, the summer camp, if someone would call her parents, they wouldn't do it. Well, I mean, that's a failure fundamentally of culture. That's a failure of people to look at a, a, a customer in distress, in this case a little girl, and say, the right thing to do is to stop what I'm doing and help this person 
right now. Now that's kind of that's a catastrophic failure, but we see lesser failures uh, that happen all the time. And uh, one of the uh, people that we feature in the book, we do quite a quite a case study on him, is Kevin Peters, who's the president of Office Depot North America, and. Uh, he has been doing a huge transformation with Office Depot. Uh, one thing I want to zero in on here, though, in response to your question about culture, is he's been looking at the employees, and he said, you know, it's nobody's fault, but for a you know, number of years, we got in the habit of hiring people and focusing them on tasks, like stocking shelves. And so we ended up hiring a lot of people who wanted to stock shelves, and that well, became and that, our culture. And that's, yeah, and that's what we measured, too. Did you get the shelf stocked? That was your degree of success, right? Exactly right. Did you get the shelf stocked? Are the floors clean? Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff that does it matter? Not to customers so much. Not as much as finding the stuff that they want and getting it. And so what Kevin has been doing is retraining people, yeah, but also he's been systematically taking people who really don't want to help customers and helping them be managed out of the business and replacing them. Yeah, and it's really easy to say, and a lot of people do say it, but but it really does come down to that that what are we all about, you know, kind of thing. And and a lot of companies that uh, um, that have been very successful have really, whether it's about the customer or it's about, you know, spreading happiness, or you know, it seems to be mm-hmm. something totally different than what the product or you know service really is. And and I think that when companies really tap that and find people that are attracted to that, you know, kind of why we do what we do. Uh, it, it sure seems to make decision-making at the at the front-line level a lot easier, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it does. And, in fact, one of the things that we suggest in the book is that uh, you take out your company mission statement and take a look at it and, and re-examine why it is that you're in business for the first place. Uh, because just about every company mission statement somewhere has something about customers, uh, whether you're there to uh, uh, you know, bring humanity back to air travel, uh, as JetBlue is, or uh, you know, whether you're there for, uh, to further the financial benefit of your members, um, as USAA is, or some of the other companies who profile. There's a customer somewhere in that mission, and companies lose sight of that. But if you just take out that mission statement and read it, you'll see, usually, almost always, a customer identified and a mission associated with benefiting that customer. People don't do that, though. I mean, uh, so many of the people that will probably listen to this are working at large companies. When was the last time they took out their company's mission statement? and read it and thought about it. Yeah, but, you know, I, I'll, I'll flip that around. I mean, part of the problem with that is because so many of those are just hollow words. I mean, there's no managerial decisions. There's no processes. They're actually bringing that to life. And I think that it's it's kind of got to be both of those, doesn't it? It's great to have the plaque, but you, you've got to actually demonstrate it, and you've got to lead that way, too. Yeah, absolutely right. So um, this is another big point of the book. It's sort of the fundamental point of the book it relates to what you just said. It's that customer experience leads to profits, but only if you treat it as a business discipline. So it's not enough to love your customers. We assume that you love your customers because without your customers, you wouldn't be able to pay your mortgage. But it's not enough to just sort of say, gee, I love my customers. You have to actually do tangible things about it. You have to uh, have an understanding of what those customers uh uh, want, need, what they perceive as being easy, what they perceive as being enjoyable. And you have to uh, have a very explicit 
idea of what kind of an experience you want to deliver that's going to meet all those needs and wants and expectations. And that doesn't just happen. You know, that requires you going out and studying the customers. And to your point earlier, uh, when you actually then go ahead and implement that experience, how, however that experience is implemented, you want to have a measurement program in place that will tell you whether or not you're actually delivering what you intended to deliver. And all of that requires a lot of discipline, uh, whether it's a, a voice of the customer program with closed loop processes like you see at places like JetBlue and, and other places, or whether it's doing a lot of uh, deep ethnographic research uh, that we see more and more at a variety of companies to really understand. Certainly, you know, the Virgin companies, for example, have been doing a, a lot of this to try and understand what their customers really want and need. Uh, but that's what you have to do. You have to actually get out there and do very specific things just as you would do in any other business discipline like marketing or logistics. Well, yeah, and, and I think, you know, I'll take it down to the simplest level. Go out and be a customer <laughs> yes. of, of, your, of your business. I think, I think some people would uh, be shocked and horrified at, at the touch points and the gaps and, the, you know, the, uh, the things that people do because it's more convenient for them, uh, you know, as opposed to, to being customer-centric. But I, I want to go back to one thing that, that I think has really been uh, probably a challenge in this area. I started off talking about, you know, is this a new trend? Um, and I think one of the things that probably makes this a trend is because I, I think the role of the customer has kind of changed. Um, I mean, we used to say, here's what we've got. We'll educate you on it, come buy it, or we'll run an ad, come to our store. And, and now all of a sudden, the customer has all these tools first to block out the messages they don't want, but then also to share experiences. I mean, you, you talked about the little girl you know, getting lost, but how many examples do we have of single customers or, or small groups of customers actually literally bringing large corporations to their knees now because uh, they can they can sort of out them you know for bad customer experiences <laughs> well yeah you, you you put your finger on an important dynamic so uh we characterize this as the age of the customer why uh very simple uh we came out of a couple of ages where competitive advantage came from having centralized control the age of manufacturing the age of distribution uh, then we got into the information age where suddenly, courtesy of the Internet, people had access to information that they didn't have before. Now your customers literally can know as much about your strategy as your employees do because it's all out there. Uh, they can compare prices. They can compare product availability. They can compare everything. And they can also go on social media and they can get advice from their friends. And that advice carries more weight than all of our marketing. It's uh, study after study shows that people uh, find that the recommendations of their friends and the people in their networks much more compelling, much more believable than advertising and marketing. And so, yeah, the power has shifted. Uh, people can instantly find alternatives to you, and they can order those alternatives online on a mobile phone while they're standing in the middle of your store. Um, they could you know, open up an account and get rid of their bank. They can they can be unbanked. They can go to a digital bank. Um, it, it is it is really staggering just how much that shift in power has occurred from the businesses to the customers, and that's why the only real path forward uh, in this current age is to focus on understanding your customers and delivering a great experience that's going to make them want to do business with you. So. One of the key, I think, pieces of that, it's always been important, but I think now that there are so many more dynamics, I mean, you, you, you started to talk about that idea of the way you design this process and you monitor and you measure is, is certainly a lot of listening and, and understanding 
you know what the customer wants. This you know the small business. I think a lot of times if they're smart, they're they're directly talking. There aren't layers of management. They're maybe directly talking to the customers. But a lot of a lot of larger organizations, it's just not possible. So, you know, how do you really stay kind of closely in tune with with what the customer wants or what the customer is experiencing even? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I've I've personally worked at some of the largest companies uh, in the U.S. And yeah, when you walk into an executive office and that person is many, many levels away from a frontline customer uh, and just really doesn't see them on a regular basis, it's very easy for them to get detached uh, from what's going on. And so you can't leave that understanding and that attachment to the customer to chance. You have to put programs in place. some of the things that we have seen work. Uh, work. One is having your executives uh, sit and listen to calls, whether that's uh, an hour that's reserved at an executive meeting where you just sort of have a live call piped in, or whether you go to the trouble of pulling together a sample of live calls every week to your contact center and putting that in front of people so that they can hear that. Um, when you do the ethnographic studies I talked about, if you get out there and you videotape some of your customers trying to do some things, and then you, you bring some of that uh, footage in and you show that to uh, people on a regular basis, that helps connect them. I say, take, uh, I say take the CEO, give them a headset, and put their butt in the chair in the customer service center and let them take live calls. We, we've, we've seen that done, and it can be extremely effective. You know, it's very, it's very easy sitting in your office to say, nah, that's not true, especially looking at a, at a chart. When you actually hear the authentic voice of the customer, it's very hard to ignore that. I'll tell you another thing. Uh, we, I've seen this done a number of times, but it was first done, as far as I know, at Credit Suisse, is uh, uh, their CEO had um, uh, a bunch of their executives, including their lawyers, fill out the forms that the customers were being made to fill out. And uh, I've got pictures of it, actually. It's pretty amusing. You can just look at the expressions on their faces of horror and confusion. And so what happens when you do that, when you walk in the customer's shoes like that, is you immediately say, you know what, I think we can make these forms simpler. Yeah, why would we do this to anybody? <laughs> right, exactly. But, you know, the, the, the underlying theme here is building empathy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. So if I'm um, in, in kind of the... the last uh, few minutes we have here if i'm listening to this i obviously i'm 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 getting ready to rush out and buy your book um outside in uh, the power of putting customers at the center of your business but are there kind of the one two three you know here are the three you know steps to get the, uh, an outside in shift started yeah, well, there are there are a few things that we recommend, and I, I if you if you really want to just sort of get a transformation going, not just in your business but within yourself, there are a few things we'd recommend. Uh, one is uh, some advice that we got, uh, frankly, by studying Kevin Peters, uh, president of Office Depot, who I mentioned earlier, and and that's to simply go to your office and write down on a whiteboard or on a piece of paper, put it up somewhere where you're going to see it every day, these words: "I need my customers more than my customers need me." That's great. And that is going to, every day when you look at that, remind you that your customers have choices and they can choose to go elsewhere and help focus you. Another piece of advice is something we touched on, which is go experience what it's like to be your customer. Go shop at your store, uh, go online, use your website, uh, call your contact center, and see what that actually is like. That will reveal to you problems that you didn't know you had. It will also build empathy. 
And I would say another thing is go out and talk to your customers. Go to where they are. If you have a waiting room, go to your waiting room. Uh, your point about sitting down in the contact center and double jacking and listening to some customers, this is all extremely enlightening stuff. And, and that right there will begin to put you in touch. I'll actually add one other thing um, we suggest, which is uh, befriend your frontline employees. I think most of us who would read this kind of a business book, we are not frontline employees. We perhaps don't touch customers as often as we might like. But your salespeople, your contact center employees, uh, service technicians, those people see your customers every day. They pick up on trends. Uh, they often have ideas for solutions that they are dying to share if only someone would ask them. So ask them. Yeah, that, that is that, that is. That point can't be emphasized enough. Uh, I think that companies that really understand that, I mean, you know, the the, the, the frontline people turn into referral sources. They help recruit new employees. I mean, there's so many things that uh, that they can directly do to impact the business beyond what whatever job description is. Absolutely, and and you really you, you want to understand their perspective. I know one of the case studies in the in the book, and we have a, we have a lot of them. It was really fun actually doing some of these things because we kept getting you know as long as we've been doing research in this, we, we still got some surprises. But uh, one of the case studies is about a guy named John Beer who's in charge of customer experience at Charter, and uh, he was brought in uh, to help turn around uh, Charter. Uh, they had a difficult restructuring, and you know, cable companies aren't necessarily known for great experience, and they decided they were going to focus on customer experience. And one of the things he found when, when he came there, he was recruited from another company, was that uh, they had developed this culture of compliance in their uh, efforts to really just get things done. They were all about you know, get a directive, salute, charge forward, get it done. And so superficially, this looks like hard charging. But what it meant was that sometimes there'd be a well-intentioned but ill-informed directive from on high to go do something. The frontline employees would know that this was going to have a bad impact on the customers. Their bosses who issued the edict didn't know this. They would have never done it if they had. And so the frontline employees, though, would salute and go do it. And so one of the things John did was, when talking to these frontline employees, is realize, wow, we've created a situation uh, that is, has people going out to do bad things to customers that they don't want to do, that nobody wanted them to do, but nobody knows. And so he's changed that dynamic and t said, if you get a directive that makes no sense to you or seems like it's going to hurt the customers, you come to me. Whatever it is, come to me. And so he's slowly but surely changing that culture, which kind of brings us back to where we started. Yeah, that's, I'm thinking of the, the, the war analogy. You know, the soldiers, go take that hill, but we know we're going to get ambushed there. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. And, and you know, and, and to, to, you know and, and I don't know, I've, I've, I've managed fairly large organizations myself, and uh, I'm sure that I've told people to go do stuff that was clueless because I was literally clueless about a particular situation. And what do, you, what do you want as a manager when something like that happens? You want your employees to come back to you and say, whoa, 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 did you realize X? Because probably you didn't. Yeah, and I, and I think it probably comes, and again, I'm I guess we'll go back to culture again. I mean, it comes down to the some, some companies' culture is that that you know the manager believes they can't ever be wrong and <laughs> they have all the answers and and you know don't question it and or, or you know I'll make up an answer because I want to be perceived as having all the answers and, and I think that by by creating that environment where you know you're all on the same team trying to get the same objective uh, is is certainly how that's going to start happening 
Yeah. Well, if, you, if you're not one of those companies that has a really strong customer-centric culture, uh, then you've got a lot of work to do. Uh, you, you, you need to have that, that customer experience strategy in place so that people know what it is they're supposed to deliver. Uh, that needs to be informed by customer understanding practices so that you get authentic voice of the customer and you really know what the customers want and need versus what you think. Uh, you, you need to embrace design in a big way. And, and if you take a look at what's been happening with design, you look at the Stanford D School, the design school, you know, design is becoming a huge force in American business. We've got a case study in a book about uh, how Fidelity is using uh, design in that way to change their businesses, uh, their business. Um, yeah, so you got you got a lot of change management to do to ultimately change that culture. Yeah. Do um, is there a um, a website with the book or some some place where you have more of these case studies or maybe the 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 research uh, that that Forrester's done as part of the book? Yeah, there's a there's a uh, uh, a fair amount of information at outsidein.forrester.com, and. Uh, we also have a, there's a number of articles that are out there right now, and of course, in our Forrester reports, uh, we cover everything from the business case to the uh, six disciplines of customer experience. Awesome. Well, Harley, thanks for joining me, and uh, it looks like uh, probably most listeners uh, are probably coming away thinking we've got some work to do. <laughs> well, most companies do have a lot of work to do, but, but that should be as encouraging as it is daunting, because right now, if you say you wanted to be the market leader by virtue of your great marketing, good luck. Marketing's well-established, well-understood. Everybody's paying a lot of attention to it already. If you say, you know what, I think I can really get a good lead based on being uh, disciplined about customer experience, then you're in a green field in many industries. So you have the opportunity to go out, to differentiate, to be better than the competition, to uh, get customer loyalty in a way that you wouldn't have if you focused on something like operational efficiency, which is well-trod ground. So, yep, I've, I, I've, I've said time and time again, the greatest source of lead generation is a happy customer. Amen. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Harley. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.